Support for today's episode comes from Goalie ACB Gummies. They're a great way to incorporate apple cider vinegar into your daily routine. And best of all, they're delicious. Trust me, I was tired of that nasty ass bitter ACB shot and made the switch to Goalie. And as a Boonie Breakdown listener, you can receive an additional 10% off your purchase by using code Boonie Breakdown. Details on how to purchase can be found in the show notes and on the BooniBreakdown.com. Hey y'all, it's your girl Booney, and you're listening to the Booney Breakdown Podcast, your source for all things responsible and ratchet. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to episode 208 of the Booney Breakdown Podcast. This one is a good one. Our guest uh, this episode is Jennifer Eden. And so if you're a part of our Patreon community, you've already experienced the brilliance that is Jennifer Eden. She's your favorite femme daddy, dominating crowds from the classroom to the dungeon. She's a certified sexuality educator and pleasure coach. This black queer non-binary femme has been schooling folks on consent, gender affirming language and kink dynamics anywhere from BDSM dungeons to Ivy League universities up and down the east coast for over a decade they bring their unique style of sensual edutainment and wet humor never dry to every stage they touch and let me tell you this motherfucking conversation was it what i also appreciate about it is you could see their um gender affirming language she schools your girl on pronouns i had i was so thankful to have a guest who allowed me to freely say my thoughts and provide educational context to the pronoun space. So you want to stick around for this conversation. We're going to hop right into my pick of the week. And this week, if you have Amazon Prime video, um, I'm going to need you to check out Fat Tuesday. It's a, I think it's like a two or three part uh, docu-series on black comedy culture in the 90s. It was actually amazing I had not really heard of it and um it was pretty much that era of like hip-hop comedy and Guy Tory started this amazing showcase out in Hollywood but it just talks about the evolution of black comedy it recognized some of your favorite uh comedians that we all know and love but that don't get that uh, mainstream notoriety, Lunel, Earthquake, some of those great folks. It was a really, really, really enjoyable watch. Um, so again, check it out, Fat Tuesdays over on Amazon Prime Video. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. Come back later, please. Housekeeping. Not now. All right, we're hopping into feedback from episode 207, Let Me Fuck Your Husband with Sahar Taylor. There was a lot of commentary on this one, guys. It was a really fun, ratchet, amazing episode. It was great to hear a woman who has found and taken ownership of her own sexuality, who is living outside of the norms, air quote, by enjoying her poly lifestyle. Um, I received this quote back like, damn, Booney, this is the episode I did not know I needed. My husband and I have been in a rut, a true, true rut. I love him. We don't want to separate, but we do need to spice things up. We did not know what else to do. I heard this episode with Sahara Taylor and said, hmm, maybe this is something we should consider. I sent it to my husband to listen to it, and he was on board. I believe we're going to sign up for Mrs. Sahara Taylor's coaching classes to see how we can transform our marriage to an open poly 
ish lifestyle. Thank you so much as always for educating with humor, real life experiences. So that episode, that episode, that comment about that episode meant a lot because that is what I enjoy doing with the podcast. If you have an inquisitive nature like myself and you just want to know a lot about a lot of things, then that is why I do these episodes to see people who are living life on their own terms and the way they fucking want to do shit. Um, and they don't give a fuck about what anybody else thinks. So thank you so much for that amazing comment. I hope that your coaching sessions give you and your husband the spark and everything you did not know that you needed for your relationship. And I'm glad that I could be a part of that journey for you. So thank you again for listening. Also, we want to give a shout out to our new Patreon subscriber. Welcome, GG, to Patreon. If you want to be a part of the Patreon gang and get access to the group chat and access to live events and all of that great stuff. And another good perk is Booney Live is coming back this year. And Patreon gang will be getting some perks with Booney Live shows. So if you want to do all of that, you can head on over to patreon.com backslash the Booney Breakdown. And you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. We also have annual memberships. If you sign up annually, you pay a one-time fee and you get two months free. So again, thank you guys so much for your support of Patreon. And yes, you heard me fucking correct. Booney live shows are fucking back this year. Um, You'll be happy to know that I have signed one contract. I'm in negotiations on another contract for another city. So we will at least have to um, solidify down for the summer and we'll work on one for the fall. But Booney Live is back, so be ready. I will be dropping details, announcements, all of that amazing stuff really, really soon. So be ready. You can sign up for our newsletter. Just head on over to thebooneybreakdown.com. A pop-up pops up on the screen. You can put your email in there. But Patreon gang is getting first crack at the ticket. So I'm just going to say that now. (laughs) All right. And again, I want to thank you all for listening. If this is your first time, then I'm going to ask that you please, please, please follow us on social media over on Facebook and Instagram at The Boonie Breakdown. On Twitter, just at Boonie Breakdown. We're sharing this episode tag is use the hashtag pod N-P-O-D-I-N hashtag The Boonie Breakdown. I love it when you put it in your Insta story. I love resharing it. I love it when you DM me if you don't want to share it and say, oh my God, this episode was great. I'm listening to it now. I love all that feedback. It really, really helps me curate really, really good, fucking responsible and ratchet content. Again, if you want to go above and beyond you can leave a five-star review over in the Apple Podcast app. I think I'm like six away from 150 reviews. So you don't even got to do anything. You just go in the purple app on any Apple device. You hit the Boonie Breakdown and then you scroll down and you see where it says five blank stars. You're probably looking and it's five blank stars. You could tap all five and it will fill in a five-star review for your girl. And I appreciate you long time. So that is it for me. And let's get ready to break it down. Hey guys, it's your girl Boonie. And with us for this episode, we have Jennifer Eden. So welcome to the Boonie Breakdown. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to get into it. I am too. Now I have to say, you did a private event for my Patreon audience. And I believe, first of all, I think my mom's head was going to like combust. Like my mom's pretty hip. She's pretty up on it. But I think a lot of the terminology, things you were saying, it's the stuff that my mom read and she's 
hasn't seen anyone. Like it's no one in her circle that, that says those things. So she's like, Oh my God. And I love that. Yeah. I love that reaction. I love getting the elders in on it because I feel like, you know, once you hit a certain age, you feel like, you know, you know, all there is to know, especially when it comes to sex. Like once you've gotten past having kids and all of that, it's like, eh, I know all I need to know, whatever. But folks are realizing (laughs) that there is so much more to learn, so many more ways of experiencing pleasure and like so much more that you can do outside of like the little bit that you might've been taught by like a sex ed teacher in middle school or like, I don't know, your singles group at the church house, wherever you found your sex ed information, it wasn't enough. And that's why I have a job. (laughs) And that's why I love having these conversations and bringing on people like you, because what I have discovered in doing this podcast and getting into these circles and reading more and learning more is that most people are basic as fuck sexually. Um, everyone thinks they're out here, freak of the week, busting it open down. And there are so many different avenues, ways to find pleasure, ways people get their rocks off that blow my mind, but it's also intriguing to me. Like, how do how you dick it hard doing that? Or how you get what doing that? That shit is always interesting to me. So I love people who are open, honest, and love teaching and sharing new things with people. You know what? I'm going to put you on game. I know we only like two minutes in. but Let's go. This is how you find out who's really like freaky and who's just talking shit. When you ask somebody What are you into? What are your kinks? Like, do you have any fetishes? Any of those questions. If their answer is I'm down for whatever, they're not down for whatever. (laughs) If somebody says I'm down for whatever, what that means is that they haven't taken the time to actually think about and give language to the things that they're into to be able to effectively communicate them with a partner. If you ask somebody what their kinks or fetishes are or what they're into, and they got a whole list of what they do and what they don't do, that's somebody who has really thought about it. That's somebody who really is like, probably going to rock your fucking world because they've really thought about and experienced things outside of the norm, outside of the basic. But somebody who's like, oh yeah, I'm down for whatever, They are not. They are not like they haven't thought about it. They also haven't thought about how to how to receive or how to give a no, which is a big deal when you're trying something new. So somebody who says I'm down for whatever. Chances are you're not down for whatever. There's lots of shit that are like edge play, which are like the more dangerous kinks or things that are like kind of gross if they're not your jam. So if somebody says that they're into water sports or scat or blood play or some of those things like you might not be down for that. So you're not actually down for whatever you have a boundary and you should be able to communicate that. You are absolutely spot on. That's probably one of the realest things any guest on this podcast has ever said to us. And when you said it, I think um, in this world, I think it is shocking to people the things that people can get off to what they're aroused by. Um, One of my little boo things today sent me this like screenshot of this story where a girl was talking about she's having sex with this guy. He said he liked his ass lick. She was apprehensive about it. 
long story short, she goes into his ass. He wasn't cleaning. He wasn't clean. Like he stunk. It was poop there, whatever. So then she let that shit slide. She like kind of ate it, let it go. Then they were having sex. This time she's riding him. He puts his fingers in his asshole, comes out, has shit on his hand, and is like putting it on her face because his he wanted her to eat it because that turned him on. And she licked it and she said he was so aroused that he came all inside of her and... See, these are the things that we need to communicate up front. Okay. Extremely. There's there's a difference between kink shaming and having a boundary. So if you say to me, Eden, we about to get it on and I am really into putting my fingers in my butt and rubbing my shit on your cheek while we do it, I'm going to say, you know what? That is not something that I'm into or open to. Um, What else do you like? Maybe we can meet somewhere else. Yeah, but maybe you can pee on me in the shower. I don't know. Okay, like we can negotiate. Finger, like I'm not talk about. We can talk about where my boundaries are, and we can talk about what we might have in common. Now, if you say I really want to smear my shit finger on your cheek, and I say, "Oh my god, that's fucking nasty! Ew, you disgusting (laughs) bitch!" That (laughs) is kink shaming, and that's what we don't want to do. That's what stops people from being able to freely express themselves. That's what puts people in a space of like repression and like not even being able to acknowledge the things that they want to do because one time somebody told them that it was gross or wrong or sinful or whatever. And so now here they are with all this pent up tension and not even knowing how to deal with it because it lives in their mind that this thing is wrong. So if somebody presents something to you, whether it is an extreme, like putting a shit finger on your face, or even if it's a position, if somebody's like, oh, I really like doggy style, being able to say, well, I have knee problems, so that's not comfortable for me, is a way to articulate a boundary versus saying, well, I'm not fucking doing that. And now we don't we don't even understand why there's a boundary in place. So like we got to we got to know the difference between having a boundary and kink shaming. I like that breakdown that was succinct. It was clear. It makes sense because that probably would have been that probably might have been in that particular scenario my reaction because it's shit and that's just very alarming to me but I have been in situations where you have to say it a little bit more delicately mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's just not what I'm going I'm going to partake with you um but it I don't do, always come out delicate now sometimes it, it, the boundary sounds like oh hell no that's okay it is okay but you get to have your boundary depending on your relationship with the person or the setting that you're in you might even you might not even feel the need to explain why that boundary is there but like I said you don't want to be like oh no that's a that's a sin my god would never allow me like whatever whatever rhetoric you use wherever it comes from like you don't want to shame somebody for their desire you just want to let them know that you don't have that in common. Fair enough. I think that's fair enough. Um, one of the things I did want to talk to you about is um, we were talking about your your appearance at our Patreon event, and you we were supposed to be having a uh, a conversation about head, how to give the best head. Mm-hmm. And I remember you pulled out 
uh, your the dildo and you were talking about, we had a conversation about how one can get pleasure from receiving oral sex to a dildo, right? If you're, mm-hmm. you use a strap. And that was probably one of the most enlightening conversations I had had that month because in my, I was one of those people like, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And when you talked about the power <laughs> part of it, then it made a little bit more sense because I was just thinking physically, not mentally. And sometimes our sexual experiences aren't always a physical thing. Exactly. And that's exactly what it is. Sex isn't just a physical sensation. Sex isn't just the way something feels against your body or inside your body. It's a mental experience. It's emotional. It's spiritual. Like all of the ways that we experience our body come to come to the surface during sex. And mm-hmm. so if you are a person who was not born with a penis attached to your body, if you don't have an Audi, um, as some people refer to (laughs) it, um, then using a strap-on can bring you all sorts of pleasure for all sorts of different reasons. It could very well be a power thing. Like I've talked to some women who enjoy pegging their male partners or using a strap-on to penetrate their male partners. Um, And for them, it's a dominance thing in the sense that Men have all this power in the world. Men get paid more. Men get to spread out in their seat on the subway. Men get to say whatever the fuck they want without consequence. And so pegging a man makes some women feel powerful in a sense of like reclaiming the power that they don't necessarily have or feel outside in the world. So it could be. A number of reasons. It could just be the idea of like looking down and seeing somebody on their knees in like an act of service or like an obedient position. So it's the visual rather than the sensation or the mental like, man, if I had a dick, I would go outside and pee my name in the snow or I would get head while I'm driving to work. Like you get to think about all of these what ifs because you have this attachment that you get to use as a part of your pleasure experience. So it's not just about how something feels, I'm doing air quotes, if folks are listening to this, they're not going to see the air quotes, but it's not just about how something feels sensation wise. It's about the experience overall and like what your brain and your heart and your spirit do to bring it to life for you. Yeah. I think that part is overlooked because we often have these conversations. Can sex be good if there is no ejaculation, if no one has an orgasm, right? And I think people are shocked oftentimes when people say yes, because yeah, like I've had good sex and never came like that has happened plenty of times. The sex was bomb as fuck, but I didn't come. And I was like, in that moment, the experience was so good. I was okay with that. Right. And so I think when people start thinking about those times, like it can feel good. You've had a good time. I would hope so. That's my hope in some of these conversations that people take away is that you should be enjoying the experience you're having with someone without your clothes on. Absolutely. I think sex can be absolutely pleasurable without an orgasm. I think that a lot of the pressure for orgasm happens because we don't know how to end sex 
without someone coming and more Mm. so like in movies and on tv and even in porn like most of the time it's very clear when a man or a person with an Audi comes and so we get the visual cue in media that like oh the sex is over because he came Mm-hmm. And so if we don't have that visual cue or if we're not having sex that looks like the sex that we see in mainstream media, then it's a lot of confusion around like, well, how do I say that this is over? How do I say that like this is enough? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a lot of the work that I do as a sex educator is about not only decentralizing the penis because you can have amazing sex without a penis being in the room but also decentralizing orgasm and knowing that you can have really great sex and really pleasurable experiences with just being able to say like, that felt great, or that was enough, or I'm done. Or like, there's so many ways you can signal that you have enjoyed the experience for what you wanted it to be without feeling like, oh, well, I'm not going to come. So I guess I should just fake it or like do something like there's a lot of pressure around like not hurting somebody's feelings instead of just saying I've had enough. It is wild to me. I get it. We've, we've all, and I'm going to speak heterosexual women here. We have the orgasm gap is not in our favor, right? Like, (laughs) For the longest time and still so many women are faking orgasms because you're trying to protect ego. Either you want it to end, you don't know how to make it end to your point you just made. And so I just was reading the updated statistics. It was like 65% of heterosexual women had an orgasm in their last sexual encounter. And when you look at heterosexual men, it's 95%. (laughs) When you even look at gay men, 89%, bisexual men, 88%, lesbian women, 86%, bisexual women, 66%. So women who only <laughs> have I sex mean, with men. My team is winning out here. Okay. Yeah, like, like <laughs> shout out to the queer folks who are out here living our best life. But real talk. Like I said, decentralizing the orgasm, I think is so important because especially for people who have never experienced an orgasm and are like trying to like assume what it's going to feel like or like, oh, well, how do I know when it's happening? Nothing's going to ruin that more than trying to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So just going into an experience with the goal of feeling good versus having an orgasm is much more likely to result in you having a pleasurable experience. Because if you put this goal of I'm trying to have an orgasm or trying to have a particular type of orgasm or trying to squirt or trying to whatever, then when you don't do that, your brain goes into disappointment mode rather than just like, oh, well, that that was fun. The thing that I was hoping for (laughs) didn't really happen, but like, it still felt great. It was fun. I think too, the I think why it's so hard for me to grasp the concept there that there are people out there who've never experienced an orgasm is because I gave myself an orgasm first. Before anyone had ever touched my body, <laughs> I had given me an orgasm first. And so 
it's helpful, right? When you're having these experiences with others that you can say, at least I know what I like to do to me. So let's try to figure out <laughs> how this works with your, you adding you into the equation so I can still have pleasure out of the experience. And I'm also stunned. Like I, I wish people could see my DM sometimes. And I love that women reach out to me one woman reached out last week, like, are you a sex educator? I am not, but here is eight black women that are, because that's not my, my specialty, but she wanted help because she had never had an orgasm. She's 49 years old. A couple of months ago, I just gave her recommendations for a sex toy. Cause she had never had a sex toy. And so to hear those stories, I'm like, it's, I think it's partly generational, mm-hmm. but it's exciting to me to hear this woman is now like, you know what? Enough is a fucking enough. I'm gonna have. I'm gonna masturbate and figure and give myself an orgasm. Like that is amazing to me. And so I wanted to ask you: Do you remember how old you were the first time you masturbated? So I was probably, I'm gonna say like 13, maybe even a little younger. The first time I intentionally was like, I'm doing this mm-hmm. now getting into like the child psychology side of things, kids start exploring their bodies like very, very Mm -hmm. early. So a lot of times I talk to parents who are like, oh my gosh, my three-year-old was just masturbating. Something's wrong with them. I've like failed as a parent because I'm raising (laughs) some sort of pervert. No, your kid is simply exploring the body that they are in the same way that babies reach down and be playing with their toes or like biting fingers or whatever. Like they're simply trying to figure out what is going on with this body. And so it's not disgusting. It's not wrong. It's not immoral for a child to like explore their own body. Now, when you notice that as a parent, it's important to start talk about talking about privacy and boundaries. And like, there are certain things that we do behind closed doors that we might not do in the middle of the living room or at the dinner table. But I think a lot of us are reluctant to masturbate and explore our own bodies as adults because there is a memory living in our brain rent free of somebody telling us not to touch ourselves as a child Mm. and you might not remember who it was you might not remember when it happened but there is a high likelihood especially because of the generational gap in how we talk about sex there's a high likelihood that somebody saw you reaching in your pants or humping a pillow or grinding on the side of the couch or something and said, oh, no, you don't do that. Absolutely not. Smacked your hand away, told you you were sinful, made you get on your knees and pray something. And so, like, I am hope I'm not triggering anybody who is listening to this podcast, but I really want us to think about the things that inform how we give ourselves access to our bodies, because our parents, grandparents, aunties, elders, clergy folks that we interacted with in youth told us things about our bodies and our sexuality and the ways that we are allowed to experience them that simply are not true. Okay. Like, 
There are plenty of folks who were told that masturbating is going to lower your sperm count. Masturbating is going to make hair grow on the palms of your hands. Masturbating is <laughs> no, that's a new one. Grow. I ain't heard that one. <laughs> Honey, they really reached. Okay. They re- they said masturbation was going to make you go blind. I masturbation was going to make it so that you can't have an orgasm with a partner, Whoop. that you'd be less likely to conceive, like all of this stuff. And it's all false. We still hear this trope going around. You see the memes about men thinking sex toys in the bedroom are competition in these relationships. And if you keep using the vibrator, your clit is going to lose sensation. And every time I see it, it makes me so angry. So here's how I feel about this. Men, cisgender, heterosexual men. If you can't fuck, just say that. (laughs) If you can't fuck, it's okay. We can figure out ways to incorporate you into the experience without relying on you for our pleasure. Okay. You can hold our hands while we hold the vibrator with the other hand. You can play with our titties while we play with our pussy. Like there's so many things that we can do to make sure that we are all a part of the experience and having a good time. But what you're not going to do is shame me in particular out of using my sex toys, out of masturbating, out of scooting my butt up under the bathtub faucet. Like you're not going to tell me I can't do those things with you or in my spare time. Like if, if you are so threatened by a woman's ability to experience pleasure on her own, that you have to tell her that, oh, well, if you're going to be with me, you don't get to use them toys. If you're going to be with me, you not masturbate, then you don't deserve pussy, sir. No, I laugh because I wish, honestly, I wish a nigga would, right? Like if you, I have a basket, it's a lot of toys in there. It's a lot of trinkets, fun things we can do. They're complimentary. If I'm sorry, if you are threatened by a piece of plastic, then we have a problem here. Yeah. We have a problem. I talk to a lot of women who are like, you know, I've been in a relationship for 10 years or I was married for 40 years and whatever their, their only sexual relationship was with a partner was with a man for X amount of time. And now on the other side of that relationship, they're like, I'd like to use a toy because my husband, boyfriend, partner didn't allow that to be a part of our sex practice. And I think that is, I mean, that's rude and disrespectful for lots of reasons, um, because we shouldn't be limiting how our partners experience pleasure. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, if it's something you're not into, you get to express a boundary that like, hmm, I don't want to use sex toys when we're together. But that doesn't mean that your partner can't use a vibrator on her own. That doesn't mean that your partner doesn't get to like explore this without you. But because we have this ingrained, this like monogamous idealism in our minds that like, oh, our only sexual relationship gets to be with the person that we're going to marry. Like your primary sexual relationship is with yourself. Anybody that you partner with gets to compliment that, gets to enhance that, gets to feed that, gets to expand it, but definitely should not be doing the opposite, should not be limiting the ways that you experience pleasure. It's just, why? Why would you commit to that? Why Why would you stay in that? I just, It's, mm. It's just so 
listening to that generational divide and it, and I will say that it's still there. There are plenty oh, yeah. of people who still believe that. So I'm not going to make up this example that us 30 year olds and 40 year olds have it all figured out. No, <laughs> oh, no, don't. it's definitely not just the elders. Like, yeah, it's not. It's that that type of thinking is going to be around forever, probably. Um, but I'm really glad that a lot more people, a lot more women and femmes specifically are embracing the knowledge that your body is your own, your primary sexual relationship is with yourself. And if somebody wants to limit the way that you experience your own body, then that probably is not the nigga for you. Yeah, I love it. It's that simple. But I I am, it's encouraging to hear stories though, that, I mean, even though it's disheartening, like, you waited there all that time, like and limited yourself all that time that at least now they have this freedom to explore, to see what, what is works for them, what their body likes. But it's so like, whoo child, all them years, all you know, them years. I, I will say that like sex toys are an ethical and honest way of exploring different types of pleasure and different types of orgasm, different types, different ways of experiencing your body versus cheating, sneaking around, doing some, you know, some, some bullshit that I don't condone. I think that honesty is really important with yourself and with your partner. I think safety is really important with yourself and with your partners. And so if you are feeling that you want to explore something sexually that your partner is not willing to engage in, I am not saying go out and find somebody in secret that you can explore this with. What I'm saying is that you can communicate with your partner that this is something that you're interested in. And in an ideal world, that partner would be like, great, let's do it. However, that is not always the case. Maybe your partner has a hard boundary. Maybe your partner needs some time to warm up to it. So using sex toys can be a way of experiencing different sensations and different types of play in an ethical manner. Because I have had child talking about stories, okay? (laughs) I had a particular interaction in which someone told me, that she had been married for a very long time. And as far as I know, still is and had never had an orgasm, but cheated with her contractor and had her mind blown. But now that her husband is starting to get hip to the cheateration going on, she needed to buy a sex toy to keep her satisfied now that she knows what an orgasm feels like. Yikes. (laughs) Now, granted, she did get back on the good foot at some point. You know, she decided she needed the sex toys so that she could keep the lying and cheating at bay. However, I do not suggest starting with the lying and cheating. That's not really the place I suggest that you go. So ethically, go ahead and get yourself a little vibrator, get yourself some little BDSM implements, Watch some porn, some ethical porn, some paid porn, um, and see what there is to see. You know, you don't have to be limited by um, any any kind of like shame or restrictions or repression in your own mind or your partner's. Well, look, this is the perfect segue to our next segment here. <laughs> All right. I wanted to talk about because this is 
you meant you hit a lot of points that I wanted to get to. Ethical non-monogamy, we hear consensual non-monogamy. This is the growing, um, I'm not going to say it's it has been around for a long time, but I think it's getting more attention, getting more into the mainstream. We're seeing it more on Instagram. I have two husbands, I have two wives, all of this. And I think it's a hard concept for people to grasp, myself included, but I feel like the more I have conversations with people who practice non-monogamy, that it makes sense to me, right? <laughs> like I get it. Um, and so again, I always like to start with vocab. What exactly is ethical non-monogamy? Ethical non-monogamy is a conscious practice of being in relationships with multiple people with the knowledge and consent of everyone involved. Simple. Simple. At least I think it's simple. However, I've been about this life for a very long time. So I was ethically non-monogamous before I knew words to describe what that was. Um, I remember being in like little high school relationships and telling my boyfriends and girlfriends at the time that like, I don't think that there's a such thing as the one for me. I think that I am, and I was a deep ass 15 year old. Okay. So I was I'm impressed. Here, I'm like, shit. <laughs> I was out here telling the people that, like, you know, I'm a multifaceted being, and I don't feel the need to put pressure on any one person to be compatible or to, to align with all of my facets. And it's like, I'm gonna pause real quick because even there, it's like that concept is so easy to get when we think about non romantic relationships. When we think about our friendships, right? I have a friend who I know I can call up and do this type of vacation with. I know of a friend who I can get business tips from. Like, so like we have these friend groups, friendships that not like we don't put it all on this one friendship. Like, I only have one friend and I don't have any more. You, I probably have a dozen friends that all satisfy some different type of need. But when we flip to the romantic side, it's like, nope, we've been sold this bill of goods that there's only one person out there romantically who can be the end all be all for us. And I do see why there's some level of disappointment. I still also don't think people are wrong for deciding to stay monogamous, but I do like what I'm seeing over on the people who are not monogamous, <laughs> who practice non-monogamy. It makes sense. And you use the word that is very important to this discussion. Decide. It's all about what you decide to do, not just doing what you have seen done, doing what your parents did, doing what you see in movies, doing what you feel pressured to do by your faith group or religious organization. I think it's really important that people acknowledge that there are all types of different relationship structures and all Mm -hmm. types of different ways to experience love. And so I think when we talk about ethical non-monogamy, it's also important to include people who choose not to be in romantic relationships with other people. I think that like, so Tracy Ellis Ross is one of my like baddie inspirations. I think she is just she a bad bitch. An eternal <laughs> baddie and like very publicly 
has chosen not to be in relationship with a partner, has very publicly chosen not to have children in her life thus far. Um, And that doesn't mean that people don't reserve the right to change their mind. Somebody who is solo, somebody who is partnered, somebody who is, you know, in whatever relationship or love dynamic that they're in can be in another one tomorrow. That doesn't invalidate what they're doing right now. But I just think it's really beautiful to have examples of polyamorous dynamics and examples of people who have really chosen to prioritize their relationship with self and how they show up in the world independent of a romantic partnership. Yeah, no, I agree. Tracy Ellis Ross is a great example because from what we see, like we don't know her, but what we see, she lives a very fulfilling life. She seems happy. She seems open and she's discussed, you know, choosing not to be partnered and to be child free being child-free alone is another conversation that breaks the norms because as a woman, you're supposed to be a mother. What is wrong with you? You must birth these children. Um, And that's why I think it's important to talk about folks who are solo in the same conversation where we talk about folks who are poly because I identify as solo poly, which essentially means that my relationship with myself takes precedent over any other relationships. I'm always going to do the thing that feeds who I am and how I want to show up in the world. Now, granted, of course, when I am in relationship with somebody, their feelings and boundaries and concerns matter. This doesn't mean that I'm just out here bulldozing people's feelings because that's what people default to. Like, oh, well, you just selfish. You just out for you. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that my primary romantic relationship is with myself. I can take myself to the movies. I can take myself out on dinner. Um, I can spend time with myself and feel really fulfilled in that. I can absolutely please myself sexually. I can absolutely (laughs) make sure that my bills are paid and that I'm taken care of in all of the logistical ways. And I am open to the possibility of someone else contributing to and complimenting that. So from what I just heard you say, and I'm about to, my, my, my cisgendered women about to get all up in my ass real quick, because there have been times, and I think most women who are in heterosexual relationships can recall a time that a man has told them, I'm talking to you. I'm not settling down. (laughs) I'm going to talk to other people. You know, we this is, but we still have something solid, right? I know I've been told this, and I know some people I know have been told this. And I think what I've heard you say is like, what's missing there sometimes is me as the woman, after I'm told this, am I going to accept that as the reality and be in this situation? Or am I going to... Ex- Stay in the situation, but say, nope, I'm going to get mad because you still want to be monogamous or understand that this isn't for me and I need full on monogamy and walk away. And I think a lot of times most women stay in the middle where it's like, okay, I want them, but I still want you to be my only one and I want to be your only one. And I just listened to you say that and I'm like, oh shit, all this time, (laughs) there's so many men out there who say that but probably need more guidance on how to actually practice ethical non-monogamy to get the the verbiage together, right. To give the other partner, the, the, the opt-in consent, right. To make it a little bit more formal. 
And I oh. think that's what's missing. But when you, when I was just in here listening to you, I'm like, I've heard this shit before, right? Because some nigga has told me that. <laughs> yeah, it's not new. It's not new. It's not exclusive to one gender or another. Like, we all have the option to choose ourselves mm-hmm. first. The fact of the matter is, we've all been fed one side or the other of a very particular narrative, which is monogamy is the default. And that if you were assigned female at birth, it is your job to be available when a nigga chooses you. And if you were assigned male at birth, it is your job to sow your royal oats until you decide that you want to choose one of these hoes. That's really what it boils down to. And so being a queer person, being a non-binary person, I have decided for myself that all of that is bullshit. And when you exist in um, or when you, you know, realize yourself in heterosexual relationship dynamics, you're dealing with these these two sides of the same narrative. And Mm -hmm. so it's important for both people to acknowledge what you're up against and what you were fed. Because we have this whole like, well, men do this and women do this. No, people are individuals. People function as individuals. People get to make choices that feed who they are and who they want to be and how they want to show up in the world. But we were all gendered from birth and socialized into these particular male and female roles. And male people get a lot more freedom and a lot more autonomy a lot more. based on the way that they were socialized. Mm-hmm. Female people, we get to have that as well. Okay. We get to say, oh, I'm not ready to settle down. I'm choosing, you know, I'm, I'm going to be out here and I'm going to choose when I'm ready to choose. Like you, you get to do that. Or you get to say, you know what? I'm prioritizing myself. I understand that I am an individual living under capitalism and need to make money. So I'm going to prioritize my career or I have nieces and nephews and, you know, children around me that I want to feed into their lives in a non-parental role. I don't feel the need to, you know, birth children of my own or have a family structure that looks that way. Like there's all sorts of reasons why you may choose partnering or not partnering. But folks who were assigned female at birth have not been given that same freedom to do so. And people who were assigned male at birth have been given a lot of goddamn excuses. So like you said, everybody needs the language to be able to communicate what it is they trying to do. That's really what it boils down to. Being able to say what you're trying to do and actually follow through on it rather than selling somebody a bill of goods that looks like this monogamous ideal. But it's not. (laughs) It doesn't work for everybody. It doesn't have to be that. And that's the thing when it comes to ethical non-monogamy is recognizing that your relationship can look however it needs to look for you and the people in it to be happy. I love that. And I do think that is the part that is the next step for people who realize monogamy is not for them, but don't know how to articulate that is Mm -hmm. to just be very clear on what it is you want and find people who are okay with that. Right. Like you don't have to sell it, tweak it, lie about it, conceal it. There will be someone who will accept it might be a mesh. Like, yeah, I'm fucking busy. So this works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also like 
being honest about where you're coming from as far as your experience and openness level, because there are a lot of people who, and I, I will say it's a lot of women, a lot of cisgender heterosexual women who are like, oh, well, I met a man who's poly and I'm not really with the shit, but I'm gonna try it. Cause I want him girl. Don't do it. If you, it, if you don't want to do it for your own pleasure, for your own exploration, or even for your own curiosity, like I said, you get to do something today and change your mind about it tomorrow and it's fine. But if you're not coming from a place of genuine interest for yourself, then it's going to be very difficult for you to be happy and comfortable and successful again with the air quotes, um, successful (laughs) in a non-monogamous dynamic. But if you really are like, Oh wow, I met somebody. I'm really into them and they're polyamorous. I've never considered polyamory for myself before. Didn't even know it was an option, but now that I know it's an option, I'm genuinely curious if it is something that would work for me in my life, not just with this person, but in my life as a whole, then absolutely go for it. Um, I would definitely suggest finding community. Um, and there's all sorts of ways to do that. You can ask people in your circle if they are non-monogamous, if they're polyamorous, if they're in open relationships. Um, there's also plenty of meetup groups online. Um, a lot of people assume that polyamorous meetups are sex parties. And they're not, not true. They're, they're much closer to networking events than they are sex parties. Um, now, if something is a sex party, they'll they'll tell you up front. Um, but most likely, if you see something advertised as just like a poly meetup, it's going to be like a networking event. It's going to be a group of people who are all some version of ethically non-monogamous meeting up to potentially get to know each other. Maybe you just have a couple drinks at the event and you think, oh, wow, that was really nice to talk to this person. Or maybe you end up in a full-fledged relationship with somebody you met at the event. Who knows? It's all about being open to the experience. But I definitely suggest if you are curious, um, going to some meetups. Um, and then there's also a couple of books that I would suggest if you're a nerd like me and you like to read <laughs> up more things before they try them. Um, one is called Poly Secure by Tristan Taormino. And the other one is called The Ethical Slut. Um, I recommend the ethical- Somebody else just told me about that and it's on my list and I just have not read it yet. I recommend that book for lots of things um, because it's one of those kind of books that you don't necessarily have to read straight through cover to cover to get something out of it. You can definitely look it up uh, or use it to look up specific references. So there's things about non-monogamy. There's things about masturbation. There's things about communication. There's things about handling trauma. There's things about all sorts of things that might come up in a relationship or just in getting to know somebody. And so I think that the ethical slut gives a good um, foundation for like how to approach some of those things. Awesome. So before we wrap up, I do want to have a conversation because I'm going to be honest here and um, say this is probably the most in my life I've said cisgendered (laughs) in this one hour that we've been recording. Um, I know you identify as non-binary and you use the pronouns they and she. And so I want 
And I feel like you're the perfect person to do this for the dense cisgendered folks like myself and others who listen, um, where it's, you want to learn, you want to understand. And I avoid it because I don't want to say the wrong thing. And so I try to like talk around it, but I don't want to do that. So in learning, I wanted to know, and let me know if you don't want to answer. Um, but I did want to want to know, how did you decide that they was your pronoun? Oh, I like this question. Okay. So <laughs> I decided to begin using the pronoun they when I got into public speaking. And I realized that oftentimes when people were introducing me, they would say, now welcoming to the stage, the beautiful, the sexy, the whatever the fuck else, Jennifer Eden. Whereas when men would come onto the stage, they would introduce them as the intelligent, the learned, the experienced, the, you know, whatever the fuck else. And so it made me realize that gender has us fucked up in a lot of ways, right? Because if I'm coming to speak to a student group at a university about consent and bodily autonomy, why are you introducing me as the beautiful, the sexy, the whatever else? Like, I don't need to be those things to be a subject matter expert in this moment. Um, And so it was important for me to kind of not remove my gender, but decenter my gender in terms of my work, um, because it's really important that people are not focused on my appearance mm-hmm. when I'm talking about some shit that actually matters. Now, um, I say not removing my gender because I do also use she, her pronouns. Um, part of that is because I am pretty comfortable in my femininity and people's assumption of my femininity and womanness. I also understand that the world operates in a binary, meaning that most places I go, people are not considering that I may be non-binary. When I am in queer community, when I am in places that I have curated or places that I deem safe because I have vetted them or because they've been curated by other people that I know and trust, then Of course, people are asking pronouns, people are asking how you identify, people are making less assumptions about who you are and how you operate and giving you the opportunity to inform them of how you want to be received. But out in the regular ass world, (laughs) people assume that everybody is a man or a woman. Mm -hmm. People People use characteristics to assume those things, right? So I know I've been in spaces before where like somebody has seen me from the back and I have short hair and broad shoulders. So they said, excuse me, sir. And I turn around and they see my face and whatever happened in their brain between the sir that they assumed I was from the back and their perception of my features facing forward fuck them up to the point that they're like, oh no, I didn't mean sir, you're a lady. I'm sorry, ma'am. Ah." It's okay. I'm all of those things, actually. I We all encompass masculine and feminine energy. So I personally am not offended by they, she, or he. All of those things speak to the ways that I see myself. 
That is not the case for everybody. So I don't want anybody listening to this podcast to be like, oh, Jennifer Eaton said all of the pronouns. Are fine, <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead out here. And when I meet a trans person or a non-binary person or a genderqueer person, and they tell me what their pronouns are, I'm going to say, Jennifer Eaton said, fuck your pronouns. That's not <laughs> what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we all get to choose. We all get to decide for ourselves how we show up in the world and how we want other people to receive us. And so for me, it was important to include they as an option for how people receive me and how people refer to me because all of the ways that we make femininity about appearance have very little to do with who I am as a person. Well, that was it. I was going to ask, why was that important to you? But you summed that up. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, no, I, I, I've i always been curious. The they has always been the one that I'm like, I'm always wanting to ask someone, why did they choose they as their pronoun? And I think for me, that is, um, it is a hard thing. I've had that happen where I've misgendered someone in person And I've also witnessed it. And the person was very hostile in the correction. And it's like, okay, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. But again, I didn't know that, right? Like, I I did not know this was not a setting. There was no name tag. I honestly, this is my first time meeting you. I did not know. And so ever since then, I've been very sensitive to it because I'm like, oh, I don't want to make anyone feel bad. But I honestly, that was like, oh, shit. (laughs) That was my first well, death by fire experience with it. And this yeah, was and like, we don't know what other people have been through like that day. Right. So that, yeah. been that person's <laughs> 14th time being misgendered. And by the time they saw you, they were like, this bitch got me fucked up. Yeah, and you got, ended up catching the, the full brunt of everything. All the heat that day. That day. <laughs> now, granted, that may be what somebody else faces when misgendering somebody, or you may get somebody who like me does this for a living and talks about gender and sexuality and bodily autonomy and all of those things and is actually willing to like have this dialogue. What I would suggest that folks do in general, not just when you're interacting with somebody that you assume is genderqueer or that you have been told is trans, literally in your basic human interaction, especially with people you've never met before. When you introduce yourself, Simply say, my name is Jennifer Eden. My pronouns are they and she. What's yours? That allows that person to not only self-identify, but it lets them know that you're trying to be a safe space. You might fuck up. You might misgender them. You might forget. Your brain might not process that what you see does not align with what this person is telling you they would like to be referred to as, but by offering your own pronouns, it's really laying the foundation for a safer interaction for everybody involved. You know what? I was one of those people and I'll be transparent and honest here is that as the dense cisgendered person, I'm like, you know, I'm a woman, so I'm not putting she in her, right? Like, you know how everyone puts it in their signature. I'm like, I'm Mm -hmm. not doing it, but just hearing your explanation just then I'm like, 
I should probably put she in. <laughs> she in her. Here's the thing about email signatures as well. I suggest everybody put their pronouns in their email signatures because what if you have a coworker named Leslie or Jordan or Stacy or Jay? Like all of these names are very gender neutral. Mm-hmm. Like I've met people of multiple genders with all of those names. Or what if somebody has a name from a particular culture or heritage that to you just looks like a bunch of letters and doesn't signify a gender at all? And so by offering pronouns, it allows you to more accurately identify a person rather than assuming and being loud and wrong. I love it. I'm going to take that advice myself personally, because I definitely was on that side of the fence on it. So I appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, um, even your name, Adrian, like Adrian's, true. Adrian's boy or girl. Multiple people. <laughs> it's, it's true. It is true. And it's especially because it's mostly been men who have that name until they started adding. Well, my mom wanted to be creative and different. So she switched up the letters. <laughs> oh, yeah. Black parents got real creative starting in the 80s. So, you know. Yeah, she she wanted to be creative. So before we wrap up, we're going to do the breakdown. I'm going to say a word or phrase, mostly words, but you can respond with a sound, first word that comes to mind or phrase. You ready? All right, let's do it. Black women. Magical. Sexuality. Fluid. Self-care. Necessary. Kinks. Gimme. (laughs) (laughs) Pegging. Not my jam. Poly life. Bout it. Orgasms. Yeah. (laughs) And last one. Wait a minute. Masturbation. Morning, noon, and night. Come on now. I love it. So, Jennifer Eden, can you tell everyone where they can find you on social media, on your website, if you have any upcoming events? Here's your time to plug, plug, plug. Absolutely. So once again, I go by the name of Jennifer Eden, Mix Eden if you're nasty, your favorite femme daddy, dominating crowds from the classroom to the dungeon. I do a lot of one-on-one work specifically with Black folks and queer folks in reclaiming their sexuality and their bodily autonomy. You can reach out to me on Instagram at pleasure over everything. Um, You can also see me live, mostly in the D.C. area, but as things are becoming just a little bit safer for us to go outside, I will be doing some traveling. Uh, But I do have shows coming up uh, on March 26th with the whole hive. Uh, If you know, then you know. If you don't, then you better ask somebody. So jealous because I've been trying to go to one of their events for the longest time. And I always have something on the day of their event. But go ahead. (laughs) It it will align. It will align one one of these days. Um, I also do a show quarterly called Pies and Pasties in DC. It's literally a burlesque show at a pie restaurant. So if you like (laughs) desserts and semi-nude people come through to that, Um, you can also see me and lots of my like sexiest friends on Sanctuary Noir Virtual Strip Club. Um, So during the pandemic, Uh, Sex workers were affected largely because 
it was not safe to interact with people in person in any capacity. Um, Also, lots of brick and mortar strip clubs were some of the last places to reopen um, during COVID and during those mandates. And so we were able to be a part of starting a virtual space for sex workers, entertainers, dancers, burlesquers um, to share their gifts in exchange for tips uh, online. And so if you are interested in supporting the work of your local sex workers, you can log on to Sanctuary Noir every first and third Friday. The most fun you can have at home on a Friday night, go to sanctuarynoir.eventbrite.com for tickets. There you go. I will be sure to link all of that in the show notes and on the booniebreakdown.com. So Miss Jennifer Eden, thank you so much for teaching and enlightening us. That's what I do. Hopefully folks got something out of this. Even if folks only listened up to the part where I said that people who say they down for whatever ain't really <laughs> down for whatever, then you got something out of this. Um, but I really hope that folks listen to this whole thing because I feel like we went we went some places that folks don't really be willing to go. So thank you for having me on the Boonie Breakdown. All right. I want to thank our guest, Jennifer Eden, for dropping so many gems, so much knowledge and being open to educating and making things click a little bit more, especially for me. So I greatly appreciate her conversation. Also, be sure to support our sponsor, Goalie ACV Gummies. You can use the code of Boonie Breakdown for an additional 10% off your purchase. All right. And if you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to listen and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or any app that you listen to your favorites on. Don't forget to leave those five-star reviews. You might just hear your review on the next episode. Follow us on all social media. Share the episode with those you love, those you don't love, those you fucking hate. I don't make these pretty images for nothing, okay? Have a dope-ass week. Stay healthy, safe, and sane. Thank you for listening. And remember, the ratchet in me always honors the ratchet in you. Homaste. Until next time.